conferences, long agendas, big venues, always on your feet, barely getting to see the people that you want to see, and then, of course, the expense. Well, the three of us at Good Morning Hospitality are launching Good Morning Retreats. Our first retreat is this July 8th through the 10th at the Horse Hospitality Training School in Auburn, Alabama. If you go to goodmorningretreats.com, you'll find out more information about our first retreat that we're launching. We have already filled half the slots. We have 20 available and we have about 13 already filled. So make sure you go there, you apply, show your interest, and we'll get you all situated for our first ever Good Morning Retreat. Thanks so much for tuning into the podcast. And now back to the episode. This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news, leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive, as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you. And good morning, hospitality, because we are live. What is up, gentlemen? How are we doing today? Good morning. We've uh, we've got a new semi-permanent uh, monthly guest or or co-host joining us. So glad to have Jamie on board. Yes, so welcome, Jamie. Yeah, yeah. I just as the intro was playing, I just realized that we need to get an intro with your picture in it instead. Uh, just because I was like, ah, oh, man. What a what a morning! It's a it's a Monday for sure. Yeah, uh, smile oh, a lot in this episode, Jamie, because he'll snip it. So yeah, yeah. There we go. Like problem. <laughs> Perfect. Well, for our listeners and live viewers right now, Jamie, I want to give some context to why you're here, why we asked you to come on the show as a co-host. Um, a couple episodes ago, Michael made a statement betting his house. And uh, let's just say you proved him wrong and should be technically recording where he's at today. Well, I want to actually see that data too, Jamie. So we'll uh, <laughs> take that on there. Yeah. But uh, long story short is that you came on, you showed the data behind the conversation that was at hand, talking about professional hosts uh, versus the traditional unprofessional or just a normal short-term rental host that just joins on Airbnb. So I would love to have you introduce yourself. What's your background? What are you doing now? How did you get to where you are? Uh, and then we're going to jump into a lot of data that you sent over from Darm and the hotel uh, data conference that was Nashville. So anyways, take it away, Jamie. We'll let you take it from here. Great. So as you said, I'm with AirDNA now, uh, joined in October 2020. Uh, title there is the VP of Research. Uh, but I sort of hold many hats on the product side, on the um, economics forecasting, uh, and just digging into the data. So where I started um, in the sort of hotel hospitality industry was with a company called PKF Hospitality Research. Uh, we uh, dug into hotel data and forecasted the uh, hotel industry. 
that company was acquired by CBRE Hotels, sort of world's largest real estate company. We went from a company of 60 people to a company of 100,000. Uh, and um, as part of that, uh, we were still forecasting hotels. Uh, and this little thing called Airbnb popped up on our radar. Uh, for me, it was uh, around 2009, 2010. Uh, I was hosting on Couchsurfing. And uh, I was like, oh, I can now list my room and get some money for it. This is interesting. Uh, and over the years started, uh, I had interns, uh, employees sort of tracking Airbnb manually. We'd like, I don't know if you guys remember the old Airbnb, but you would like hover over a city and it would tell you how many listings were in your view. Uh, mm -hmm. So we would have every month someone go on and hover over all the top cities and figure out how many listings were out there. And that was how we were tracking supply. Uh, started some doing some rudimentary scraping. Uh, but then in 2015, heard about AirDNA, uh, and that was actually, I became the first, I think, enterprise customer of AirDNA um, while I was at CVRE. Uh, started doing a whole bunch of research on how short-term rentals were impacting hotels, interacting with hotels, sort of what the guest choice was, um, what were the reasons why people were choosing between the two, and really helped uh, educate the traditional hospitality industry on what was emerging uh, in the short-term rental, vacation rental sector. I love it. I love, so, uh, yeah, I love stories of joining companies that you were customers of because that's just a, a testament to the product and the fascination with the space. So that was when I joined NoiseAware, I was a, a customer first before uh, joining them. So. Uh, really cool to hear that piece. Will, you had a question? I was going to say, what was it like for that transition for you, knowing like, okay, like obviously as a customer, I think maybe you were probably already thinking it. Did you ever think you were going to work for him? That was kind of going around the same lines as uh, Michael there. But were you, when you met Scott, were you like, hey, this is a company I'd actually see myself with? Or, or were you just like, I really love their data, so I'm just going to stick with it? Yeah, and I really love the data. I'm became friends to Scott back and from the beginning. Uh, my wife and I stayed at one of his Airbnbs in Santa Monica uh, back in 2016 when I was out there for the um, Alice Hotel Investment Conference. Um, that's in every year in LA. So, and it was always a conversation we had and I was out, would go out there every year in January. Uh, we'd always hang out. We'd always have conversations, uh, but it wasn't until... Uh, 2020 that Scott was like, let's, let's make this happen. <laughs> Come join yeah. us. You love digging into the data. For me, it was always like an after work or weekend thing uh, to sort of dig into the short-term rental data. It was never a core piece of my job, but it was always something that I thought was fun uh, to, to dig into that data, uh, to uh, see what the emerging trends were and in back of my head, it was like, well, I've loved doing this thing for fun. Might as well make it my full-time gig. Yeah, I, I was going to say, was it a, a matter of interest to you or you realizing that they really needed your help at some point or, or some <laughs> combination thereof? A combination thereof. Uh, I was uh, a big part of the QC department at uh, AirDNA, even while at CBRE. Uh, <laughs> 
uh, looking into the data, like would call Scott sometimes like, Scott, I, I'm not sure about this data point. You guys, you guys take a double look at this, uh, double check of the data points. Uh, so now, uh, being internal, um, and it's, it's really a big part of my job is looking at all the data, uh, from an external basis. Like how are our clients using our data? Um, how, what are the actual trends that are happening? Uh, and hopefully if there's, and we're able to see the emerging trends and also make sure if there are any issues, uh, we're catching them before any of our clients are. Well, I, love I know there were a couple big conferences last week in with data. We want to touch on some of the stuff you presented, but also have a few questions, uh, maybe outside of that. You just mentioned, you know, a broad look at data for, for people listening and my own edification. It's tough to track macro and micro at the same time. When you're starting out tracking data, what's more important to look at macro environments or micro environments? Yeah, I start with macro. And that was one of the first things I did at AirDNA was I want to zoom way out and get a sense of what is that global view? Um, what is, how many bookings are happening daily across Airbnb and Verbo? Um, what, how does that sort of supply break down? And then build out the different ways that we want to track the supply and the demand within the sector. So that's where we built out the definition of professional versus individual hosts. Um, we just launched a new product um, where we broke out luxury upscale down to budget. So what are the high level views we want to be able to break down the data and start to embed those in the product? And then it makes it much more easy to get to the micro of, because when you're an individual host, when you're an individual operator, when you get to the micro, it's, I want to find my true competitors to be able to benchmark myself off of. So if you can, if you've got a luxury uh, castle in France, um, mm -hmm. I want, I want to be able to get to those uh, other types of properties as quickly as possible or even automatically. And we've got to have the data tagged internally to be able to do that. Yeah, it's, it's an interesting one. I think people can often get lost in micro data thinking everyone else around them is doing it right. But if you're not looking at macro, you could be first mover and have a massive advantage. And right. you know, an example would be a you know, concert gets announced that it's moving to, to town. Uh, everyone else keeps their rates the same. They don't notice it. You can jack yours up. You're, you're still going to get bookings mm -hmm. and you're looking at you know, what's happening outside versus just your, your comp set. Yeah, absolutely. And, and that's, and a piece of that is being able to benchmark, like if you just want to track what's going on in professional managers, just individual hosts, like if most of the professionals are using dynamic pricing softwares and, and, and event tracking and reacting to that in real time, being able to and start teasing out the differences and how they're pricing their units can a lot of times give you that extra edge too. Yeah, you mentioned castles in France, which uh, is is obviously of interest to me. Uh, <laughs> Airbnb maybe two months back launched their segments or niches or whatever they're calling it. Mm -hmm. 
is that do you see any increase in bookings or increase in specific subset of bookings from those or is that just another way to slice the pie and one and airbnb has done two great things in my opinion to drive bookings outside of the norm one is their flexible search which and you listen to brian chesky and and he sort of tells you and explains it in a way that sort of makes sense to me of people don't search for travel in the same way they did where you start with the specific destination and the dates that you're traveling, more it's around the experience. And what are you looking to get out of your trip? Are you looking to stay in a castle? Are you looking to stay? Are you just looking to go to France and get a sort of unique experience, stay in a really cool spot? Uh, And it doesn't necessarily the exact week that you're going when you're starting that search, you want to find the best place to stay. Uh, So you can just say, I'm going to go to this location whether it's a country, region, uh, or even just drive to destination from where you're at, uh, pick the type of experience you're looking for, and then they're going to serve back the types of stays that sort of match that experience. And one of the most clear ways we see it showing up in in the data that we track is the sort of rise in small town rural bookings. So a lot of these towns are areas that you never look to search in a traditional OTA, like if you go to um, and any of the OTAs, they start with you need to choose a city that you're going to and the dates that you're looking to stay. Um, and I may never think to uh, search Dothan, Alabama for next month, uh, but Airbnb is going to serve me up that there's this amazing treehouse in Dothan that I need to stay at that's within a short driving distance from me. Yeah. Uh, and we're still seeing those types of stays and demand in those types of stays uh, be really strong, even through, I mean, what, two and a half years after the start of the pandemic. Yeah, that that's part of an impetus of why we got into what we're doing at Storied is these are gorgeous places, tra- fo- following the trend of rural travel, Instagrammable, all that. But you'll never find it on Booking.com because you're you're going to search London or Edinburgh, not, you know, Ochterot or Scotland, right? Right. No, no one knows to look in these tiny little towns that might not even be towns. These are just properties in the middle of nowhere. Um, so do you see that small, small city rural travel continuing on? Or is this something that was a, a pandemic blip and people will start traveling back to cities? That's a, I was expecting it to be a pre-pandemic a blip, but even to today, it's still the fastest growing category, both on a percent of 2019 and um, even on a year-over-year in terms of demand. So uh, whether it's the OTAs or just guest preference, uh, people are still preferring going to sort of the uh, sort of smaller cities throughout the country, both in the U.S. and globally. Uh, and then... And the unique type of stays, so not in traditional multifamily or single family homes, are still and where and demand growth is is most as well. So the combination of unique stays in rural areas is is still really popular. Well, the cool thing about that is that they're always unique, right? They're never going to be like unless you stay the same property over and over again, you're probably not going to see the same thing which is even traditionally true with just normal standard, like 
short-term rental properties, right? None of them are all the same blueprint layout, all the other stuff, but they have a lot of similar aesthetics design. You know, we've seen, I think a lot of people that I've seen, especially after the um, short-term rental uh, wealth conference in Nashville is like a lot of people have different types of units and different locations, obviously, but a lot of people go with the same design. There's a design trend usually that's, you know, sticking. And, and so of course, a lot of the properties look very similar with their couple of unique aspects versus their actual whole entirety um so that's the cool part is that like unique will never go away because they're all unique in a very creative and different way um but we do have one question from a live viewer before we jump into more data and overall topics but jennifer wants to know with the increase of focus on uh direct bookings how is the data be going to be incorporated or considered in reporting to get a whole picture yeah, so our data at AirDNA and same with and our competitors, anyone sort of tracking the industry is going to have that view of direct bookings as well. So we're mo- mo- looking at calendar movements. So if a unit's available and then goes unavailable, whether that gets booked direct or through any of the OTAs, that night is going to get removed from your calendar on Airbnb and Verbo. So we're going to track that as a booking. So whether it's direct or through any OTAs, it's getting captured. We do have and millions of properties that we track um, and through partners that share the data. So we get, get a sense of um, how it's, uh, what channels is getting booked through. And so we do track those trends as well. And interesting enough, both Airbnb and Verbo are gaining share in terms of overall booking activity. We're actually seeing fewer nights being booked direct, even with the sort of big push uh, of book direct um, within the short-term rental industry. Uh, the OTAs, uh, Airbnb, Verbo, Booking.com are are beginning are still sort of gaining share, uh, especially in the past two years. Do you think that's because of like ad spend or marketing or what? What is making them gain more traction rather than book direct? Because I feel like so many hosts and property managers I know that are pushing the book direct message, right? Their email list, all this other stuff. Like what's giving them more traction? Obviously, like I'm pretty sure it is that they do have infinited money, but um, you know, I would love to know if there's actually something outside of that. Yeah. And a big part of it is the, and, and it gets back to uh, me winning Michael's house is so <laughs> much of the supply is, sort of owned and managed by individual hosts, those with one to five listings. And the technology just isn't there yet to make it easy for all of those hosts to set up to sort of capture those direct bookings. So there's so much, they have so much reliance on VOTAs, Airbnb or Verbo to drive bookings to those properties. So if you're someone with one or two listings, more than likely you're just going to be on Airbnb and Verbo depending on your location. You're not going to have your own site set up. Um, so those technology providers that are making it easier and easier for individuals to create their own sites, to drive direct bookings, I see them as having a lot of opportunity um, to sort of grow and get more and more people using their their tools. Yeah, Jamie, I think my uh, my guess to this, Will, is that it's a lack of a brand in short-term rentals. 
Like there is no household Marriott, Hilton, Hyatt, Holiday Inn, whatever. Yeah, and it's and the marketing side, like Airbnb and Verbo's brand campaigns, they've spent a lot of money over the past couple of years to sort of drive uh, consumer awareness. And that's that's got to be a big piece of it as well. Well, yeah, and to, to put it in perspective, you know, Marriott might spend tens of millions of dollars a year on marketing, but they have more than a million rooms to to market. Vacasa, the biggest in the world, sends maybe one or two in in Europe. They only have thirty thirty five thousand properties, like mm-hmm. exponentially smaller than Marriott or Hilton. Yeah, so competing on that. I think is still going to be a challenge for quite some time. I really like in short terminals the the franchise model. It, it helps. I, I think something I've learned in seven or eight years in short terminals is that operations has to be done locally. Like the people that try to scale operations nationally, it's it's a fool's errand. And yeah. there are people like Casago who do, who does like a hybrid. Uh, national brand, but also local operations. Those are, that's the winning formula. And and I think that's when you'll start to see separation once critical mass starts to get hit and they can, it does make sense to, to advertise on the national scale. We're still a long way from that happening because just densities, you know, you could have a micro hotel brand that has three or 4,000 rooms. And that's the size of you know the second or third largest short terminal operator in America. Yeah, and that's where and I expect to see the short term rental industry, vacation rental industry going more towards traditional hotel and hospitality, where Marriott, Hilton, IHD, and the vast majority of what they do is marketing and bookings, similar to Airbnb. Uh and they only manage a very small percent of their portfolio. Uh, most uh, most hotels are managed by separate management companies uh, that are focused on the operations, focused on local operation. Uh, and it lets uh, the big brands focus on brand awareness, getting direct bookings through their channels and setting sort of the brand standard. So, you know, any Marriott, any Hilton around the world, you're going to get consistency uh, in that product that um, is what a lot of guests are looking for. 100%. Yeah, I think they're going to have trouble branding short-term rentals. Um, I, I've also already heard that Marriott standards might be laxed a little bit from where they were when they they launched. And that's part of it. When you launch, you, you, you're very tight on your standards and you might even visit every property or have some sort of audit. But as you scale and... It's just not something that can be done. Airbnb used to take pictures of every property that was on their platform to begin, right? It's just not scalable. What um, we're we're hearing a lot about Hopper lately. What data do you have on them? Are they actually effectuating uh, a, a different, basically building a different channel in short-term rentals? That's viable or is it still really, really early and there's not a whole lot of movement there? Yeah. And I don't know a ton about Hopper. I do know I'm, they're going after professional hosts first to sort of scale their supply. 
And that's the logical way to do it. And in my head, if you want to get a lot of supply on your platform, you go to onboard uh, the people that control a lot of that supply, right? Uh, and and that's how you get sort of a critical mass, uh, get people using their platform. Uh, I do see, and at least what I hear is that they go after a different demographic of traveler. Um, so broadly, I see them sort of bringing short-term rentals uh, to the customer in the way that they want to book and, the, and uh, that it's going to just continue to open up uh, the industry to more and more users. And, and broadly, it's and growing the overall pie, right? We're still so early in the, this industry that, and is Hopper competing with Airbnb, Verbo, or Vacasa for, for bookings? And maybe on the margin, but probably not because the people that are booking through Hopper are looking to use that platform. Um, and the more types of accommodations that they see, the better. So you mentioned Vacasa in the same breath as the OTAs. Do you see that they get a lot of direct bookings uh, compared to a, a smaller, you know, single market manager? Absolutely. Like, and they report, I don't know the numbers off the top of my head. If I had a guess, I'd say it's like 35, 40% of their bookings they're getting direct. So that is a significant piece. Uh, yeah. They do marketing. Um, they're trying to get booked direct uh, and trying to uh, present themselves as another brand within the industry that guests can connect with and go to their site first when they want to book. And Saunders as well? Sonder as well. Yeah, absolutely. They, I think they even have a higher percent of their uh, bookings coming direct. Yeah, they could hire sales teams because they're urban for business travel. I mean, that, that makes sense a lot, one much more so than Picasso would be able to. Um, I guess it, it, it probably isn't broken down in a public way, but is Picasso profitable in driving those direct bookings? Or should they still just rely on the OTAs more heavily? Yeah, and, and I've listened to their earnings calls. Uh, from what they've said, it's they're sort of agnostic uh, in terms of uh, the marketing costs to get those direct bookings versus the fees that they paid to the OTAs. Uh, it's, I think, a wash for them. So they're just looking to drive drive traffic through any channel possible and get more, more bookings for their uh, owners. Well, I know uh, we we kind of discussed a lot of different pieces uh, earlier on too, going into kind of like what you presented at at Darm. Um, I'm curious from a hotelier's background because that's where I first started seeing the amount of OTA booking come through, whether it's a condominium hotel, whether it's a Marriott or uh, you know independent boutique. Um, when it comes to the overall awareness of like short-term rentals i know you and i talked about this once before or maybe even a couple times when we met up in person but um when it comes to airbnb short-term rentals hotels some thinking that they're competitors some thinking that they're not short-term rentals really sneaking in there and kind of in being the increase in demand obviously we're still seeing an increase in supply as well where do you see this kind of shift going when it comes to the lodging preferred accommodate or i guess a preferred lodging for travelers and even 
um, as the industry shifts, like we see Marriott and all these other big brands getting in the game, obviously. So like, is that going to be, I guess, ongoing, uh, so to speak? Yeah. I mean, and so I've been sort of studying the interaction between the two for years, um, Mm -hmm. over a decade. And the top two reasons why people choose a short-term rental haven't changed in that 10 years. One, it's location. (laughs) Like if you want to go to a location, uh, there's sometimes just not an option for a hotel and short-term rentals become your, your only option. And in quite a lot of markets, like traditional vacation rental markets, uh, short-term rentals still, vacation rentals still dominate the supply in those areas. Like in sort of coastal mountain areas, it's in over 40% of listings in those areas, demand going to those areas is staying in short-term rentals. And in certain markets, it's as high as 70, 80%. Like they are, and you think like- You don't go to Blue Ridge, Georgia and stay in a hotel. Right, or Santa Rosa Beach, Florida, or the Adirondacks, or these areas. And, uh, And then you think in the urban areas, and that gets to the number two reason is price. So short-term rentals are still roughly 30% cheaper on a like-to-like. So look at a studio, one-bedroom ADR uh, that you can rent on an Airbnb. And then traditional hotel, you're going to get usually a a better deal staying in a short-term rental than a hotel. Uh, Even with cleaning fees? Even with cleaning fees. Wow. (laughs) But... (laughs) I mean, people are generally staying in short-term rentals if they're staying more than two or three days. I was about to say, what's the the breakdown on that 30% cheaper? Is the assumption that it's a three-night stay? Because one-night stay is rarely cheaper with the cleaning fee added. Right. Yeah. But also an average short-term rental stay in an urban area is uh, three and a half days. And that's significantly longer than the average hotel stay in that same area. What are the rural stays typically? What's the length of stay? Uh, it's similar to actually urban. It's around the the three, three and a half. Um, it's when you get to, yeah, the coastal destinations, you get to the four or five day stays on average. Uh, and it, it is interesting what, and you hear a lot about in the news about longer term stays. Uh, so people sort of living on Airbnb, living in short term rentals, that big increase is we're generally over only seeing in the urban and suburban areas. So in the top 25 markets, um, top in the biggest cities around the world, that's where that increase is happening, not necessarily in the destination resort in the mountain or coastal areas. Those are still seeing the longer stays on average, but they're not seeing a, they haven't really seen any uptick in their average length of stay in the past three years. And last question, I know we're running up on time here. Do you have like an amenities tracker? If a house has a pool, it gets it's 10% higher ADR and you know half a night length of stay longer average. Yeah. So yeah, in, in a lot of our tools, you can um select the amenities and and see the different performance between properties with a pool, without a pool. And one of the interesting trends and and in the data we're seeing. I mean, obviously, occupancy is coming down versus 2021 highs. Uh, in July, they're down 7.5%. But then if you start to break that out by amenities, you see a lot of the properties that are maintaining their high occupancy 
are the ones with the great amenities. So if you have a pool, you're not seeing a big dip in your uh, occupancy. It's those properties without the amenities, without the extra design, without the little extras uh, that are seeing the bigger drop in their performance. Uh, where last year, like everyone was booked, especially during sort of peak summer months. So if you're now wanting to compete and make sure you're maintaining um, your bookings, a lot of times that's the amenities are sort of that deciding factor. If uh, there's not a whole lot of difference between a boutique independent hotel and a larger short-term rental in terms of like challenges and operations and all of that. If you had money to buy a micro hotel or a short-term rental in today's current environment, what are you purchasing? Uh, I'm one, I'm going to uh, uh, probably a second tier city, large sort of uh, somewhere where still relatively low cost base. They've seen a massive influction in migration uh, because of the pandemic, people le le leaving sort of the New Yorks and San Francisco, Chicago's, uh, going to some of the second tier cities, still maintaining their high income base. A um, lot of sort of companies moving there, uh, lots of sort of local income sort of rising. Uh, and we see massive amounts of demand coming to these locations. So that's, that's probably where I'm going. I won't, I won't pick a city, uh, but that type of city is probably where I invest in my money. Property type, boutique hotel or home? Uh, I would go home uh, because those are the types. And I think people staying for longer is going to stay I'm here for probably ever with the, I won't say ever, but for let's say the next five to 10 years, given the flexibility people have to sort of work remote, uh, travel for longer. Uh, and, and the technology is just so good to continue to do that. I just spent six weeks sort of living uh, remote, uh, sort of doing the digital nomad lifestyle, even with my two kids. And, and it worked. Uh, and given that that's something that and I think is going to stay along around a while, having properties that uh, work well with that type of lifestyle where people want a kitchen, uh, want separate rooms, uh, want more space, want a dedicated office space, uh, mm -hmm. uh, being able to accommodate that, I think is long-term uh, going to be a, a, a good thing. Totally agree. Um, I have one little shout out plug in for you just because we didn't get to dive into your whole presentation and a lot of the topics from what you talked about at Darm and the other conferences in Nashville. So for any of the live viewers, uh, check out this QR code. I'll also put in the show notes. Uh, if that's okay with you, Jamie, from your presentation. Yep. It, okay, cool. Uh, so I'll put in the show notes so everyone has access to see this data and information that you went over just because I found it very, I think it's super important to not just see it, but understand it in the way that you guys have broken it down. So I think it was very well done. So shout out to you and the team. But grab his QR code if you are on the live presentation. Go ahead and make sure you look at all those different topics from booking pace to professional hosts, you know, getting a, getting their wrist slapped a little bit based off of the guest expectations. Um, a few other cool data points that you guys covered. 
um, that we didn't get to fully dive into today because of of time, unfortunately. But I uh, just want to say thank you for joining us uh, as a co-host and also for bringing all this insight and, and numbers to life better than Michael and I could ever do. So I just want to say thank you for that. Can't wait yep. to have you back next week or next month. Should yeah. be next week. <laughs> yeah, seriously. <laughs> I was thinking, well, you got to get you and Brandy just on here full time. Just like, all right, sit back, relax, let you guys chop it up and be good stuff. But, you know, we'll, we'll be out of the job. I know. Yeah. I was say, we'll, build, we'll, we'll build up to it. Uh, but thank you, Jamie, again for joining us and for all of our listeners and live viewers. We'll see you all again next week. Don't forget to check out, like, and subscribe everything in the show notes and have a great week ahead. <laughs> <laughs>